Today, we speak to the leader of an organization that empowers young adults to advocate for higher education, healthcare, and economic policies. Stay tuned as we learn about their dedication to advocacy engagement for our youth. Participate, engage, speak out, use your voice to be an effective advocate. The Voices in Advocacy podcast examines the diverse landscape of advocacy, exploring the ins and outs of building influence, driving change, and creating champion advocates. It's now time for the Voices in Advocacy podcast with your host, Roger Rickard. Welcome to the Voices in Advocacy podcast, and I hope you're enjoying season five. I'm Roger Rickard, president and founder of Voices in Advocacy, where we work with organizations to inspire, educate, engage, and activate your supporters by turning them into effective, influential advocates. And this is the podcast dedicated to the art of advocacy. This podcast is for the people that work and engage in advocacy efforts for their organizations, be they corporations, associations, trade organizations, and nonprofit cause groups. Now, let's get started. On today's show, we speak with Kristen McGuire, the Executive Director for Young Invincible. Kristen assumes this role, having most recently served as Young Invincible's West Region Director, where she empowered young adults to advocate for higher education, healthcare, and economic policies. She brings years of community organizing and policy change experience to her role. Kristen is a first-generation college student from a single-parent household and is driven by a deep understanding of the needs of under-resourced communities while helping shift power to young adults from these communities over the last decade. Keeping true to her commitment to civic engagement, Kristen is the first African-American elected to the school board in Covina, California. While very proud of her work, Kristen's most prized accomplishment is not her own. It is her mother's, who integrated her school in Alabama at age seven. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to welcome Kristen McGuire to today's show. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I shared pre-show that I am very excited to have you on because I absolutely believe, first and foremost, that uh, we must have the youth involved. We must have the young uh, people understand uh, how our government works, why it's important, what their say is, and how their voice works. So let's begin by telling people about how Young Invincibles went from a small group run out of a school cafeteria to a national youth adult, uh, young adult advocacy organization in less than 15 years. Sure. Uh, the story is is the thing that movies are made of, right? You think about uh, Saved by the Bell, right? Friends at college um, during the time where President Obama was really talking about the Affordable Care Act and how insurance companies had really counted out young adults saying that we considered ourselves invincible and would not enroll in a healthcare plan because we did not believe we needed healthcare. Um, and at that time, that group of friends said, what if we took the power of that name and we are young and we are invincible, but we actually care deeply 
about healthcare. And so uh, it really just started with this group of, of college friends amplifying voices of young adults, which later became our mission of sharing stories of young people who recognized that they needed health insurance and that the Affordable Care Act would be something amazing for young adults. Uh, so, so that group and that project uh, became what we now know today as Young Invincibles, uh, the nation's largest young adult focused uh, policy and advocacy organization. Yeah, we're going to get into the size of this. And so folks, if you had no clue, you wait till you hear the size of how this has grown during this, this period of time. You mentioned your mission, which is to amplify the voices of young adult uh, in a political process. Um, you have five values that you list. What are they? Uh, our values are young adult power, equity, community, collaboration, and bold ideas. And the fun story behind that is we actually got uh, groups of young adults, our staff, and we had several focus groups and uh, a few years ago, and we thought about what really brings us to the work, what drives our work, uh, what values that we want to center in our work as we continue to move forward in the policy work. And this, this is what we came up with. So this wasn't, you know, the, the group of executives coming up with words that, that were buzzwords at the time. This was really a, a labor of love for the young people who participate in our Young Invincibles activities. And it was very staff driven. Yeah, from the ground up, grass, grassroots. Absolutely. Absolutely great. Okay, let's get into this so that people understand the size. You boast 500,000 in your network. How does one learn about and become a part of your network? Sure. So the, the easiest way to become a part of our network is to follow us across our social media channels at Young Invincibles. Uh, we then have increased opportunities for participation. We have leadership development programs in five in our five state offices, which are in California, Colorado, Illinois, New York, and Texas. We also have youth advisory boards at the state level, as well as a national youth advisory board where young people can connect. And we also have folks who participate with us digitally by participating in virtual focus groups, webinars, surveys, uh, to ensure that the young adult voice is heard throughout the political process. As part of the network, are they required to really do anything other than to just kind of sign up and follow along and, and you know, and, uh, granted, I want you to, you want them to participate and you want them to take the action, but are there any kind of requirements other than that up front? No. So our base is 18 to 34 year old young adults. Uh, many are college or former college students. Um, there is no monetary fee to participate our goal here and what we're really the most proud of at Young Invincibles is that we're able to take really complex policy issues and break them down into consumable pieces so young people can understand what's happening and how policy directly impacts them. So if young people attend a webinar to understand what the EITC tax credit is, what it means, or what expansion could look like, that's all we ask is learn the information and share the information. So within your team, how are you coming up with developing uh, the information that you're sharing? 
Sure. So I think policy advisors or uh, we we are the policy advisors. So uh, really, what it looks like is when we survey young adults and do focus groups, that helps form our policy agenda every year. Of course, if you think of the issue areas as the guardrails, uh, as those are the issues that we will focus on, but what the nuance looks like comes directly from young adults. Uh, from there, we start, we have policy directors on staff in, in, in every state and federally, and we kind of look at what the survey has provided to us. We look at what's going on in the state and federal political landscape, and we create a policy agenda alongside our National Youth Advisory Board and our State Youth Advisory Boards. And then we begin to create consumer education from there. Okay. So you have federal issues that you're working on. Uh, I would assume because you're in offices in five other states, that those states, uh, you've been working on some issues at the state level as well, uh, well for that. Um, really generically, what are your key issues uh, right now that's out there? Our issue areas are healthcare and under healthcare, we work on uh, expansion, access, affordability. We have higher education. So that's your access affordability. So that's where you'll see our financial aid work, our basic needs work. Um, we have workforce and finance. That's where you'll see our tax policy work. You'll also see, uh, depending on the states, you'll see apprenticeship work. Uh, job creation work. And then we have civic engagement where there are voter rights, voter expansion, voter protection uh, work throughout the states and nationally. And I understand that you've had some great success. We have. I mean, uh, working on stronger commuter uh, consumer protections in, in the health insurance areas, uh, helping protect funding for Pell Grants. Yes. Uh Increased aid to lower income college students, mm -hmm. expanding funding for college, uh, community colleges. This is pretty impressive. You know, I tell people uh, when folks say, what do I like most about my job? I really feel like we're a lot of like the Clark Kents, right? No one's ever going to know <laughs> that we are the people doing the work that we do. However, it touches people's daily lives. And for me, that's the thing that's the most special about the work. I can sit here in California and know, even though no one else knows, that we were directly responsible for allowing college students to have better access to the SNAP benefits out here. And so I, I get to know firsthand, whereas when I was in college and I went to apply for SNAP, I was not permitted to uh, because I didn't work a work study job. I worked, you know, another a, a regular part time job. And now college students can apply and get it and not have those barriers and hurdles. So that's like my Clark Kent moment where I'm just walking around being Clark Kent, but nobody knows that at YI we're really Superman. You know, the only problem with that Clark Kent analogy is that where are the phone booths today? <laughs> that's a good point. You know, you got to change somewhere. <laughs> got to change somewhere. <laughs> that is so true. Exactly. Wonderful. That that is great, and and the work that is being done is fabulous. Uh, you have a group called Young Advocates, which is a paid leadership program. Uh, there's going to be a couple comment or questions with this, but but tell tell us about that program and how it works. 
Sure. So uh, this is a program that's very near and dear to my heart. Uh, it's a paid leadership development program for young adults. The only prerequisite is that you fall within our, our age range of 18 to 34. Um, and once you get accepted into the program, every state has the program. It varies in size from 10 to 20 folks. It's a semester basis. And you learn everything that we can teach you in, in, the, in the semester basis of policy, advocate, advocacy, uh, storytelling, narrative shift, uh, community organizing, and really take young people who, in a sense, have had uh, very little experience with the political process, the policy process, and we get them to the point where we're taking them to the state capitol and they're advocating for bills that they've helped develop. And What's most special to me about this program, uh, you know, like you said, I was the, the, the Western Region Director prior to this, is that we have folks join our program who didn't even know that they were allowed, let alone in the state capitol, they didn't even know they could go to their city hall because they didn't know that the space was available to them. One of our activities is go to your city hall, city council meeting, see what services your city hall provides. And then when we go to the state capitol, you'll kind of see those similarities. And we've been told time and time again, I didn't know that I was allowed to go in the state capitol. I didn't know it was open to the public. Well, that, that addresses a bigger issue, which is uh, uh, civic education in our, our school system. Uh, and, and so that should be maybe something that gets on the agenda uh, to, to help protect because they, they don't have an idea. In fact, one of the things that I do when I uh, when I speak to to every group, it doesn't matter, is I uh, I make them read the preamble to the Constitution, mm-hmm. almost like they're taking an oath. Please stand, repeat after me, boom, 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 and we know that that begins with "We the People." And then when I'm done with that, I say, "You notice it began with We the People. It didn't say I the King yep. or me the President." Yep. Or we the Congress. That's right. It says we the people. That's we are right. the people that have the right. And then, you know, on and on and on and on. So I absolutely think that that's important. Advocacy engagement. Why is it even more important for young people than anybody else? Well, that is a big question. And there's a lot of answers for that. Um, I'll say, uh, I think when we, we kind of, visualize the country that we want to live in, or even when we think about what what is the United States, how we envision it, what is the best version of us that we can be? What we do know is that millennials, Gen Z, future generations are the most diverse generations we've seen in this country, and it will continue to follow that trend, whereas every generation will be more diverse than the next generation. So it's important for young people to be involved because we're going to need our decision makers, our policymakers to reflect what our country actually looks like. Um, And then when I talk about diversity, diversity in age and and every other type of diversity, it's it's really important that we have impacted people helping guide the decisions of our country. Uh, The other reason this is important is because policy affects us all. And so when we hear things like, oh, that's politics, I don't deal in politics, you do. (laughs) Willingly or unwillingly, you, you absolutely- Every day. Every single day, the gas you put in your car, whether your car is allowed to be a gas vehicle, like everything we do on a day-to-day, but if you don't drive, but you catch the bus, the transit system, 
how the, the condition of your roads is what I tell young people. You don't deal in politics, but if there's a pothole and it bends your rim, do you know where to go? The tax of your latte in the morning. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Uh, so that's, that's another reason why it's important to be involved in advocacy. And then uh, the last reason I would say is who better to make the decisions than the people that it's actually impacting? Who better to say how much a tuition increase should be than the folks who have to pay it? I, I agree with that. And of course, we know the old saying, if you don't have a seat at the table, you're on the menu. Absolutely. And uh, by having a seat at that table, uh, and, and we're seeing that in all kinds of things. Uh, I'm an avid golfer. And I just, you know, the whole policy thing and everything that's going on with the the professional golf tour, the PGA, and now players have more seats at the table than they had before. So having that seat at the table is important. But once you get that seat at the table, how are you going to talk to them? So storytelling is really important. And you have a storytelling program. So first, why is it important? And then what is the program? How does it work? How could somebody uh, be educated in that? Sure. So storytelling is a component of our overall goal to kind of shift narratives in our country. Um, and, and the best example I think that I could use is the, the trope of the starving student. When I was in college, everyone believed that it was a rite of passage to be a starving student. There were even professors who would say, well, you're a college student, you should be hungry. But my friends uh, were actually really hungry um, and, uh, you know, didn't have access to CalFresh or, you know, I remember uh, look, trying to get change with my roommates. We were trying to figure out until our next paycheck to, to get a sandwich from Carl's Jr., right? And I, I kind of made a note in my head, like, this starving student thing is dumb and we need to figure out how to change it. And so over the years, it has changed where there's a very real national movement to expand basic needs of college students because we actually shouldn't want our college students to have to be hungry and can't focus on their education. It defeats the whole purpose. So through storytelling, what we're able to do is um, kind of take, allow people to take their own lived experiences and, and help show and demonstrate why these narratives that we hold near and dear to our American values don't quite make sense. And they're all deeply rooted in this notion of bootstrapping. You have to struggle hard to get somewhere. Um, and, and we know that's just, that's not the America that we want to live in. Those are not the values we want to hold as central values in our country. And so storytelling is, is very important to shift those. Um, at YI, what we do is uh, each of our young advocates can go through our storytelling training. We go through a lot of um, like asset-based framing. We don't want anyone to feel traumatized or re-traumatized from anyone, anything that they have experienced. And we kind of talk about how to use your personal story to communicate real life experiences and how it's the result of poor policymaking. Or if you had a great experience, how it was the result of excellent policymaking and how we want to continue to do those great things. Excellent. So you have within that a formula of how they can develop their own story, correct? Absolutely. 
And yeah. we have someone on staff who works with young people on a one-on-one -on -one basis who can help develop their story, tell their story, uh, and, and utilize their stories to kind of help uh, change policy. Earlier, you spoke about people not knowing that they can go to City Hall, not knowing that they can go to the state legislature or that they're allowed uh, to be seen there, let alone have a voice to be able to, to speak to people and meet with people. How are you using your half million strong network uh, to advocate for these po policies? In other words, what advocacy activities do you have in place for them that they participate? Are you, you, are you doing some, <clears throat> what we call on the national level, a fly-in into Washington, but are you doing a fly-in or are you doing state days at the five states that you're set up? Oh, check D, all of the above. Great. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we have uh, state policy days every year with our young adults in every state that we operate in. They go visit their state capital. Uh, we also have a policy conference every year in each of our, our states. Um, we also have, uh, we're actually planning for next year, uh, convening for our 15th anniversary uh, where we'll have a national youth convening as well. So uh, we do all of those things. Uh, we partner with other organizations for fly-ins. Um, I don't know if you watched the news back in February, but we had a rally in front of the Supreme Court uh, with hundreds and hundreds of young people in support of student debt cancellation. So we do activate when we need to activate. We partner with organizations. We do a lot of train the trainers for partner organizations to just understand how to effectively uh, communicate and mobilize young people. Uh, so, so D, all of the above is the answer. Well, I'm really glad to hear that uh, <clears throat> because you can prep people, but if they don't get a chance to really be out and do it, they won't understand That's right. Uh, what the impact can be, develop those successes, or or break down the barriers that they thought existed. That's right. You know, when you go in and you meet with either a member of Congress or a member of the state legislature or anything else, you start to realize, well, they're just like you and me. Uh, and that to me, it has always reinstituted my faith in our institution uh, that if we do what we should do, which is participate, uh, then you know, the government becomes ours again. That's right. Yeah. Uh, there are always challenges and things that are, that are changing. Uh, what do you think the biggest challenge is going to be for your community of people, let's say in five years and 10 years down the road? Five years and 10 years down the road. So I'll say one of our, our current challenges that we're, we're fighting against, and I think we have probably another two election cycles, is this notion that young people don't vote. It's just false, uh, but it is embedded in what we like to say in political commentary. Um, and if you actually looked at the numbers, you'll see that young people are beating their own turnout rates every time we have an election. Um, so I think in the next cycle or two, folks will begin to lose that talking point that young people don't vote. And the challenge will then be ensuring that the, the new group of young people uh, continue to, to carry that flag of, of being solid voters. I think, I think 
often young people are not considered as strong a voting block as they should be. Well, I know you're aware of the work that uh, John Della Volpe does yes. at the Institute of, Poli uh, of Politics uh, with, the, with the polling that he does uh, through Harvard. And uh, in his latest book called Fight, he actually talks about this the group that you're targeted on is the group that will be the most active at least since the late 60s. And I agree with that. Uh, young people care deeply about what's going on. Young people are in tune, paying attention, and understand how this policy, this whole policy thing is working in the lives of folks on a day-to-day basis. And so, I mean, I don't even know if it properly answers the challenge. I think it's a, a huge opportunity that I'm really excited to see. And what we're gonna have to look at is the, the age of our electorate and then the age of the representatives. And I think that's gonna be where we might see like a source of tension in the future. We might see some real change because of it. I actually think we're gonna see a shift. Agree. Uh, I'm, I'm more positive about uh, where I think the outcome is. I think that there are a lot of people that are uh, catching on to the need for generational balance, mm -hmm. income balance, what our entire community looks like, uh, and, and become more acceptable of that, particularly if they have access to it. I agree. And, you know, when we think about issue advocacy, and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. 10 years ago, former executive director of Young Invincibles uh, wrote an article and the title was like, will student debt ever be a national headline, right? No one cared or believed that it was a problem. until so we get to today where we actually have multiple presidential candidates running with debt cancellation on their platforms and the sitting president actually goes to cancel student debt. So if we think about where we were 10 years ago, versus where we are today. Now, granted, the Supreme Court didn't do the thing we wanted them to do, but if we just think about this as, as a movement, as a campaign, we were very successful in shifting the narrative around student debt and also getting elected officials to listen to us and actually start to make tangible steps toward resolving a problem that was largely held as a young adult issue. Yeah, and, and, and it's a much bigger economic issue uh, than, than, than just that. Absolutely. What is, what is the first thing that comes to mind when you think of the word advocacy? The first thing that comes to mind when I think about advocacy. The word advocacy. Boom. Yeah. Give me give me a word that you, comes to mind when you think of advocacy. Change. Okay. And why? I have always believed um, that when we when we advocate for the things that are important to our daily lives, uh, that it will create positive change. Um, I say often, I, this is my broken record moment, that civic engagement is a verb. So when I think about these types of words, I think about the action that it takes, uh, the steps that we have to take to get from where we are to where we want to be. And I can't help but to think of like decisions and paths that we have to take uh, you know, going back in the past. Um, the bit that you, you read about my mom is absolutely true. Um, and now that I'm a mom, I think about my grandma, actually, and what her advocacy looked like in the 60s 
having to decide, you know, as a young woman, my grandma was in our age demographic at that time and said, I'm going to send my child to school, not because it's safe, not because I trust the process, but because this is what I need to do to ensure a better future. And so that's something that I, I've been thinking. I used to really think about this more of like how afraid my mom was. But now I think about it more of how afraid my grandmother had to have been to make that decision. Right. And so how that, courageous she was. Yes. And, and because she knew that these actions would create change, get it all back together. It's about change um, and bravery, courage, you know, uh, and understanding that you're standing up for more than just yourself. You touched on this a little bit about what you do to help prepare the network uh, for things. Uh, are you providing, uh, you've got a large group of people all over the country. So do you provide most of this using technology and then jumping on board with webinars and, and uh, yes. online classes or anything like that? Yeah, how we deliver is a hybrid model. And I'll say if there was anything that was beneficial from this COVID pandemic, it was us being able to really fine tune what a hybrid model meant for our organization. So uh, we do a lot of virtual workshops and they're also complemented by in-person activations throughout the country. Um, so all of our offices are statewide offices. Uh, they do policy in different cities and uh, areas throughout their state. And we also have, for example, we just had an intern uh, in-person workshop yesterday in Washington, DC. So it's, it's a, a hybrid model of how we deliver our work. Uh, we do in-person presentations. We partner with uh, colleges and universities, um, even youth affinity groups for churches. Uh, we deploy uh, an outreach strategy. Um, in, in LA, for example, we partnered with small business barbershops and uh, deployed health insurance literacy information we partnered with Department of Social Services and we allowed young men to be able to apply for Medi-Cal. Because uh, when we think about uh, narrative shifts, uh, before ACA, men were not allowed to have Medi-Cal unless they had custody of a child. Yeah. ACA made it to where you just had to income qualify. So nobody knew that or believed it because the long held knowledge was if you were a man, you could not get the health insurance. So we did a barbershop takeover and uh, we had barbers offering free cuts to people who applied for health insurance. And then we taught people what health insurance meant while they were there. So excellent. Yeah, those are the types of activities. Right down in the grassroots of the community. Absolutely. What are the biggest challenges in your job? My job as an executive director? Yeah. Ah, I mean, there's there's a lot of challenges, I would say. I think the biggest challenge is uh, getting funders to understand how important advocacy is and how you can advocate and be 501c3 compliant at the same time. Uh, I, I would say, yeah, that's my top number one on the list. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry, uh, uh, people, if you could see this, I was nodding up and down as she was talking <laughs> about that because of the confusion of the 501c3s and what you're allowed to do and what people say. And, uh, you know, it's it's just kind of like understanding what the rules are. Uh, best professional tip you've ever received in your career? Best professional tip. 
Um, not to forget what brought me to the work in the first place. Perfect way to end this. Uh, Kristen, time flies uh, simply because you and I could have a conversation a lot longer, I think, on this. Uh, any final thoughts, anything you'd like to add? Um, I guess our website. Well, I was going to ask you that. How can people reach you? How, yeah. how can they grow that network? Uh, younginvincibles.org is our website. We're also on Instagram the same way. We are also on TikTok uh, where, you know, we make tons of fun videos and consumer education uh, and just follow us online. Well, that is a wrap of today's fantastic conversation with Kristen, Kristen McGuire, Executive Director of Young Invincibles. Kristen, thanks for being on the show today. All the best in all the efforts you're doing to be the voice for the young in our country. Thank you so much for having me. Let's face it. Today's advocacy arena is just plain noisy. Organizations are stretched. You need every advantage to make sure your issue gets the attention it deserves and your voice heard. The RAP Index is the best way to do just that by finding your stakeholders' relationships and engagement power. Get past the noise. Know who your people know. Go to rapindex.com. That's rapindex.com and tell them Roger sent you for a special offer. If you like today's podcast, head over to where you find your podcasts and subscribe to the Voices in Advocacy podcast. A big thank you to today's guest. I appreciate your time and the unwavering passion for advocacy you have. Well, that's it for this episode of Voices in Advocacy. Remember, you have the power to be an effective, influential advocate. Now go out and make it a better world. We hope you enjoyed today's Voices in Advocacy podcast and look forward to you joining us again next week. To learn more about Voices in Advocacy, go to our website, voicesinadvocacy.com.